Mount Tabor is 1,900 feet above sea level. It's about 11 miles uh, west of the Sea of Galilee. And 1,900 feet doesn't sound like a very tall mountain, but it is striking from a distance because it's not part of a mountain range. Rather, all the land around it is very flat, and it just kind of pops up. And uh, back in uh, 2018, I visited Israel, and at the top of Mount Tabor is the Church of the Transfiguration. Uh, And the central dome is a mosaic of the transfigured Lord, as we heard described in the Gospel. And there are two side chapels, one for Elijah and one for Moses. And I remember celebrating Mass in the Chapel of Moses. And I had celebrated the Mass of Transfiguration for many years as a priest, but I noticed something different, and I would begin to notice this in all the Masses in the Holy Land. They have special uh, permission to alter the words of the liturgy ever so slightly. So in the preface, and you only can pray this if you're on Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Tabor, It says, on this mountain, he revealed his glory to the presence of the chosen witnesses. So, this really happened, and this is where it happened. And in our second reading, St. Peter is insistent about that. That this is a real historical event that he, James, and John witnessed, right? What does he write in that second reading? We do do not follow cleverly devised myths, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. One of the big themes of today's readings and today's feast is the glory of God. And between the, the vision that Daniel has in our psalm and our gospel, what are some visual aspects of this glory? A throne, wheels of burning fire, Thousands and thousands of ministering angels. Words like dominion and kingship. Describing God as most high over all the earth. Mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Word majesty. And then of course in Jesus' transfiguration, his face shining like the sun. And then the appearance of the cloud Rabbi Abraham Herschel wrote that God is not nice. God is not an uncle. God is an earthquake. And I think we often misunderstand God. God is nice. Jesus is my friend. Religion comforts me. Makes me feel good about myself. Religion gives me a value system. This is an inadequate understanding of the nature of God. In the transfiguration, the glory of God is shining through Jesus. His his true nature is being revealed. And the proper response to the revelation of the glory of God is wonder, awe, reverential fear, worshipful submission. Notice the disciples' reaction when they heard the voice of the Father from the cloud. They fell prostrate and were very much afraid. Now, the glory of God during most of Jesus' time on earth was hidden. It was veiled. When people looked at him, when he talked, when he walked, they saw a man. And 
it had to be that way because if Jesus always appeared as he appeared on the Mount, of, of T- Mount Tabor during the transfiguration, there would be no narrative, no series of events. People would simply fall on their faces in the ground. Right? That's all there would be. There wouldn't, there wouldn't be some things happening. You may remember a movie many years ago, A Few Good Men. About a, it's a military courtroom drama. It's Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. And Tom Cruise is a, is a lawyer and he's, he's, he's a cross-examining Jack Nicholson. playing a high-ranking officer. as a witness. And Tom Cruise is, is trying to get him to admit things. He keeps asking these questions. At one point, he says, I want the truth. And Nicholson famously responds, you can't handle the truth. Right? Well, we can't handle God unfiltered. Not yet, anyways. But we do get glimpses of his glory. Sometimes an extraordinary experience of prayer that can rightly be called mystical may have a visual or auditory component to it. But there are other experiences in life that I believe give us glimpses of God's glory that are quite ordinary. In 1969, a sociologist named Peter Berger wrote a book with this title, A Rumor of Angels, Modern Society and the Rediscovery of the Supernatural. The book is about what he calls signals of transcendence embedded in the human condition which point towards something beyond this world, something supernatural. And he has different different, um, kinds of things. So one of them, one one example he gives is a toddler, let's say, is having a, a nightmare and wakes up terrified and a mother comes to comfort, right? Her child. And whatever culture, whatever language, the content of the communication is pretty much this. Everything will be okay. Or everything is all right. And if you think about it, it's not just a statement that for the child right now, but actually it's, it's making a much broader claim. Right? Um, humans have this deep need and desire for order and a fear of chaos. And so in some sense, the order that the mother brings to the child is connected with a transcendent order. Another example he gives is uh, girls playing hopscotch. I don't know if anyone plays hopscotch anymore, but it applies to other games, right? He says that when they're doing this, time stands still for them. They are happy in their concentration, and the whole world outside including its pain and death, ceases to exist for that time. He describes other things, such as our hope beyond death, our revulsion at great evil, and laughter at the incongruities of life. These are ordinary moments in which we step outside the taken-for-granted reality of everyday life and experience an openness to the mystery that surrounds us. Glory of God is just, it's just right over there, right? There's just this, this little veil that covers it most of the time. Worship helps to train us and attune us to the glory of God. For me, uh, a very formative experience was when I was in college. I would attend uh, a weekly gathering at an Opus Day Center. And part of the gathering included Eucharistic adoration and benediction. And uh, the chapel there was, it was just beautiful. The furnishings, the art, the lighting, everything 
so well done and so beautiful. And it was a traditional way of doing adoration. We, um, we'd have incense. There, there was a monstrance, a beautiful monstrance, the gold vessel that contains the consecrated host. And the lighting was just perfect where the, the gold reflected this light. And if, you, if you're careful in, in, in paying attention to Scripture's description of God's glory, it almost always includes light, some, some uh, manifestation of light. About 20 of us would be there singing Latin hymns, kneeling and adoring. And that is, I think, the first time in my life where I really had this sense of reverential awe in the worship of God and something I was able to bring, bring to my experience of Mass and other times of prayer. I think singing is something that connects us to the mystery that surrounds us. I have been in my life and continue to be moved by religious music of a variety of styles. But one of my favorite hymns is a very old, it's an ancient hymn with an ancient melody called Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. Part of the, part of the lyrics, let all mortal flesh keep silence and fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly minded for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descends, our full homage to demand. I think this language is beautiful and truly conveys the nature of, the, the deepest nature of God's glory and the proper human response. Now, when I speak of God's glory and it being revealed, it's not just that we look at it as spectators, but rather there's something about it that is inviting us in, that is drawing us in to be immersed in this beautiful glory, to be transformed by it ourselves. In fact, this is what we know our faith gives us, a promise to share in the glory of God. We, one day, will shine like the sun, the S-O-N. We are so obsessed in our society today with superficial beauty. Um, the Instagram model, the chiseled athlete, we will be so much more beautiful than that when we are immersed in God's glory. And not just that, we'll also we'll be wearing clothes. So Jesus' clothes are transformed, right? They, they become bright white. And this is why when we were baptized, we wear a white garment. One of the reasons. Right. Now, Peter is remembering uh, what he saw on Mount Tabor. And... It was an amazing experience, but guess what? It didn't prevent him from later denying Jesus, right? So even though you can get glimpses of God's glory, you can still go through another period in your life where it's difficult and you're suffering. And that's why Peter refers both to the memory of that, but also the promised hope, as, uh, the promised hope that our faith gives us as a lamp shining in a dark place. And so I think it's important for us um, to know and to acknowledge that even saints struggle with doubt in the midst of suffering. Even saints can struggle with doubt. You know St. Therese of Lisieux, we have her in our stained glass window over there, would write beautifully of her experience of God and, and seeing God in her ordinary life. She died young at 24 from tuberculosis and she suffered greatly for many, many months. And during that time, she struggled with doubt. This is from her, her, uh, her journal. 
Suddenly, the fog which surrounds me becomes more dense. It penetrates my soul and envelops it in such a way that it's impossible to discover within it the sweet image of my fatherland. Everything has disappeared when I want to rest my heart, fatigued by the darkness which surrounds it, by a memory of a luminous country which I aspire to, my torment redoubles. It seems to me that the darkness is mocking me. And so what Therese would, would do Mm, dozens, maybe hundreds of times a day, she would do something that in our Catholic tradition we call making an act of faith. It's simply a prayer you can say in your mind or out loud, Lord, I believe. God, you are good. God, I know you love me. Um, and, and that is something where, again, you're not feeling it, but you still have this conviction. And even just by formulating that prayer, it helps to fight against the doubt. This is, this is her in, in her journal as well. While I do not have the joy of faith, I try to carry out its works. I run towards my Jesus. In spite of this trial, which has taken away all my joy, I can nevertheless cry out, You have been my delight, O Lord, in all your doings. And there she's quoting Psalm 92. She continues for, Is there a joy greater than suffering out of love for you? God is glorious. May we recognize his glory with the eyes of faith now and share his glory forever in heaven.